Jamie. Welcome to the Can I Cooperative Podcast. Okay, I think we are live and recording. Awesome. Hi everyone, it's Jamie. Hello, it's Sabrina. And we are here for our second ever podcast, episode two of the Canine Cooperative. And tonight we're going to be talking about when owners uh, start considering maybe it's time to rehome their dog. This is a topic that um, nobody thinks that they're going to be considering or even asking the question, should I rehome my dog? Uh, Sabrina and I get this question a lot because people come to us because they're struggling with their dog's behavior and they don't know what to do about it. So a lot of times when people call us, they're going, I don't know if this can be fixed. If it can't be fixed, then I need to find another place for my dog. But um, in the course of these conversations, at least for me that I have with clients, people don't know what options are out there as far as rehoming. People don't know the process for rehoming the dog. Um, and so that's what we're gonna be talking about tonight is when you're faced with a problem with your dog and you're, you kind of feel like you're in over your head and you're struggling and you're overwhelmed and you don't know what to do about it, what, would, what your options are? Is rehoming even a viable option? Um, and if it is, what are your next steps rehoming your dog? So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll jump right in. Yes, so this is a pretty heavy topic. Thanks for that introduction. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so we want to break this down into a couple different um, subtopics, if you will, and kind of discuss why people might choose this as an option, mm-hmm. what are... Basically, what are you? What are all of your options? How do they all fall into these different categories? And I feel that um, the first thing that we should probably talk about is the breed of dog that you have. Yeah. And compatibility. Yes. Yeah, that's a huge one. So one of the things that I see the most often when it comes to incompatibility is people getting dogs that they don't. They don't understand what they're getting, right? Yeah. They see the cute puppy, they bring it home, and then they don't understand why the German Shepherd is barking, its barking and exactly, yeah. and, and hurting the children and all the things. Yeah. So when you're dealing with um, purebreds, you have certain breeds of dogs that are considered working dogs, mm-hmm. and those are very drivey, yeah, energetic. Dogs that have a, a genetic purpose in life. And then you have your pet dogs that are more suitable for a pet home. And one of the things that we were talking about is how certain traits that naturally come with a dog mm-hmm. would be desirable for an owner that was actually using the dog for the purpose that they have yeah. versus, you know, the person that got an Alaskan Husky and sits in an apartment in New York City. Yeah. So like let's let's just expound on on breeding for a little bit because anybody that's looking to get a dog, um, or even if you have one of these breeds, it's important to understand that dog breeds didn't just come about because people wanted to classify dogs. Like way back in the day when dogs first like met humans and that whole you know campfire scene, <laughs> the right? First date, right? Dogs were just dogs. But what humans did is over time, they liked certain behaviors that the dog did. So they would go, oh, this female dog 
really does really good at keeping my sheep together and so does this male dog so let's use those two dogs and see if we can get more puppies that like to keep sheep together so they would breed for personality traits that's why within breeds you have similar colors and markings and things like that because as they bred for personality trait first those colors came closer together. So in each purebred dog, each of those breeds was bred or designed to do a certain job, much like, um, I hate to liken them to cars, but this is a really comparable analogy. Like cars are a really bad hot oh, topic for me right now. <laughs> Jeeps, we digress. We, we digress. Jeeps are kind of like bulldogs. They have <laughs> lots of skin issues, allergies, maintenance. 2020 Jeep Grand Cherokees, you yeah. don't say. Uh -huh. Just yeah. like bulldogs. Yeah, just like bulldogs. So like things like that where you're going, I really love the Huskies because of the cute reels on Instagram where they're talking. <laughs> right? But... You get a husky that's bred to, for endurance, for expending tons of energy and being very physically fit and needing a lot of activity. Um, so like understanding that that's an innate trait that they're going to have when you bring them home and they mature into a full grown dog. Much like um, even dachshunds, the smaller breeds, they're bred to go to ground and go into tunnels and chase out rats and badgers. And they and are, those dogs are very, they're like at yeah. your feet, they're, they're always the, They're super hunting. loud, yep. yeah. Corgis, everybody loves a corgi, but corgis are bred to herd cattle. Their legs they are short. They are feisty little yeah. monkeys. Their legs are short, so when the cows kick, it goes up and over the corgi's head. So they're very loud and they're very sharp. So like understanding what your dog was bred for will give you a better idea of where their behaviors are coming from. And a lot of times with compatibility, you see these beautiful German Shepherds, you see these beautiful Huskies, you see these beautiful Corgis, these beautiful Border Collies, Australian Shepherds, all these beautiful dogs. And people see the packaging and they, they look so nice. But when they get them home and the dog comes into maturity around a year and a half to three years of age, their natural tendencies come out. And if you're not prepared to fulfill those needs, you're going to come up against some behavior issues because the dog's not being challenged in what they were bred to do. So what I tell owners, especially when you walk in and you see that they have clearly a working line breed mm -hmm. because that's the thing too, especially with German shepherds. Um, you have kind of like a pet dog line, like yeah. a show quality. Mm -hmm. well, and then labs. You yes. Can have oh, of course. Labs, yeah. And you can have house labs and working yeah. labs and house labs are so different. Way different. Yeah. So different. Um, so when you have these working line breeds, they need a job to do. And if you take in a working line breed and you unemploy them, yep. they are going to find a job. And I promise you, you're not going to like their career path. Yeah. Because they're just going to make it up. Yeah. And it usually results in destructive behavior because that cattle dog yeah. doesn't have cattle to herd in your apartment. Right. You know, or anywhere else for that matter. Yeah. Um, and those are the dogs that I feel like are struggling the most and the owners are struggling the most yeah um because sometimes no matter what you do it's 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 not enough yeah or it's a full-time job it is and um and so like those are the those are the pure breed dogs right and a lot of people have mutts and things yes. like that where dna tests are huge and finding out what um 
what breed your dog is. If you go to an adoption event, you're like, oh, I just picked this cute little puppy. I really don't know what it is. And then as it matures, you're starting to see these traits come out and things like that. It can give you a baseline of behaviors like, wow, my German, my puppy is 50% German Shepherd and 50% Rottweiler. Mm -hmm. Look, look, well, this is the Rotty side. This is the German Shepherd side. But when you water it down and have like a super mutt, you can't really pick out what they give you is what they give you. Mm -hmm. You can't really be like, oh, well, this is the hound and this is the this and this is the this. You kind of have a watered down version of those purebred dogs. Um, but this drive, this compatibility, when you're looking into a pure breed or even these new designer breeds like right. Labradoodles, Bernadoodles, St. Bernard doodles, yep. like Nufa doodles, whatever they it's like are. Golden doodles are like, those are old school. Yeah, those are old school. <laughs> We're getting into the crazies now. <laughs> They're almost a purebred now. Yeah. Um, when you get into that, you're going to have a little bit of both. So looking at your And looking breed, at that though too, like dogs like the doodles, just to go back real quick to like the, the selection, the selection yeah. of genetic traits, you now have people genetically selecting traits that are not from a working perspective, it's right. from a um, packaging. It's from yes. the way that they How look. How big is it? How, How What color is correct. it? Like, yeah. And so with that, when you start going for traits like that, you don't know what's coming along down the pipe yeah. with it because mm -hmm. you pick out this one selective trait, but it's linked to all these other things. So you do see, yeah. like I see a lot of, Resource, resource guarding, guarding and doodles. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not surprised by it at all at this point. No. I feel like it's every one of them. Yes. And there is a genetic component to resource guarding. Mm -hmm. Some dogs are more predisposed, and right. that breed definitely is. Yeah, because personality, it's it's not unlike um, anything in the human world. Uh, depression or diabetes or high cholesterol if your parents have a tendency if one or both of your parents have have had those genetic things going on it's most likely that you are having those genetic markers as well i have heart disease in my family on both sides of my family i'm lucky you i know right <laughs> like i'm going it's only a like matter break of out time. the cheese square right exactly. <laughs> what percentage did i fall right to? so like it's only a matter of time i've got to keep that as a marker now there's always exceptions so it's not going to guarantee but like if you're going to a breeder for a puppy we always encourage people meet the mom meet the dad and research the breed and research the breed like do your due diligence to kind of figure out what you're going to get in, in the dog that you're going to have is a best idea that you can. Um, so when you're picking out your dog, you have that. But now you have this dog. Yes. Right? You now have this dog, whether it's a purebred or you went to the adoption event over the summer and picked out a mutt puppy out of a basket and brought it home. Mm -hmm. You have a dog, and most people start this journey of, do I need to rehome my dog because they're struggling? Okay? Most people will rehome their dogs for social or, or health issues. Mm -hmm. I can no longer take care of my dog because it's not the right thing to do. I have to move, whatever. Right. But we're specifically talking about you have this dog, you're struggling with an issue. When do you know, what are the next steps? So, so we want to talk about why and when Yes. you would consider rehoming. Yeah. So we can break down the why, in this case, into two categories. We can mm -hmm. say that there's a behavioral issue, 
and we can say that there's an environmental issue. And what I mean by environmental issue is you, dear yes. listener. <laughs> yeah. So your environment is not appropriate for the dog. And what we were saying before as well is these traits sometimes that dogs have specifically, I mean, not specifically, but purebreds mostly, right? Um, mutts, if you can identify mm-hmm. the breeds. Um, they specifically have genetic characteristics that would make them excel yeah. in the things that they were meant for. Yeah. And again, you taking that dog and putting it into an environment where it's not allowed to excel due yeah. to just, you know. So I had a client, the perfect example of this, like great people, great family. They got a puppy from a pet store. It was a German shepherd, go figure. They got a German shepherd from a pet store when the when he was about six weeks old, super young. Um, and you know, hindsight's 50, like 20, 20, yeah. like they, they didn't realize that that wasn't an appropriate thing to do. Like what they were getting, they got this beautiful German shepherd. They had, they were, um, they had a little boy at the time. I think he was two. And then they called me when they were pregnant with their second. And the puppy was great. We worked around five months, but as he matured and as he mm-hmm. grew, he started to become more and more reactive and more and more uh, neurotic in the house. So and that's a common behavior yes. issue with mm-hmm. shepherds. Is and the anxiety. they and like I, he came to me from for training and he was an exceptional working dog. Mm-hmm. Exceptional. You worked that dog and he would work for food. He would work for toys. He would. You gave him a job to do and he could do it. Twenty six out of the twenty four hours of yep. the day. Like he lived. And breathed well. 110%. Yes, all the time. He was on it. Yeah. And he was a lovely dog, and they loved him so much. But the busier their life got with two little babies mm-hmm. and living on a road where they backed up to a pretty popular park where the dog was kept in a fence and saw people walking by the fence all the mm-hmm. time. And like he was just so frustrated because they couldn't give him what they needed. Right. So about the time he turned three years old, they decided to rehome him. And even though they put in all the time and all the training, that environmental fit, they could not adapt their life to fulfill their dog's needs. So they actually found a home where he's being trained to be a working German shepherd yep. in search and rescue yep. work. And I have to say every rehome that I've done with shepherds all resulted in the dogs being picked up by a police force but, yeah. or some sort like of search, search and rescue, rescue or drug detention. Yeah. yeah. So, so like that was an example of environmental. Yeah. Not because the humans didn't do the work or put in the work, but because they were able to recognize no amount of effort that they effort could put in. is going to help him be his best self and make their life manageable. He was right. just deteriorating because they didn't know what they got was like the Rinton tin of the freaking canine world <laughs> yeah. where he was out there like wanting to bust bad guys for a living. Like, and I think that that's a moment too that you have to come to terms with where you can do everything for your dog, but the most compassionate thing is to rehome your dog yeah. because your dog will be happier. And I feel like your responsibility as a dog owner doesn't necessarily mean you need to keep your dog, yeah. but you do need to responsibly find a place where they can flourish. Yeah, because like the dog world is very strange in the sense that 
you know, it's a, it's a relationship. You're going for a lifelong relationship when you bring this animal into your life. But we don't like walk into a bar, point at a random person and like, you mean married now let's go move in. Like that's some not, cultures, some, <laughs> but they also, I mean, those, my God, yeah. it's actually a perfect example because there's a lot of struggle. Yeah. That because, is. Yeah. Like, they have to figure each you other have to out. Figure each other out, and a lot of times you can put in all of the work and just realize we're not right compatible. for each other. Yep. We're not compatible. So that's one of the that's one of the environmental reasons yep. to rehome a dog is because you just woke up and realized like this dog needs like way more than my life can sustainably give it, and we're both miserable. Let's find a better place. Yeah. The flip side to that environmental is when you have a dog who's a type A and your type B person and in order to make this relationship dynamic successful you need to change how you interact with your dog and how you live your life and how you communicate with your dog to make it successful yeah and that looks like either you have a very domineering dog in your home that is mostly dominant in mm-hmm. like just your intense. interactions yeah, yeah pushy yeah demanding and um, it's not it's not an overall personality trait it's just in most situations this dog comes out on top and he always gets what he wants always gets what he wants and is pushy about it mm-hmm. and then you have an owner that constantly gets railroaded yeah and that gets very funky when there's aggression involved yeah um and then the other side of that coin is you have a really insecure soft dog and you have a really insecure soft owner yeah and it's the blind leading the blind yeah and no one knows what to do so sometimes these things are a matter of you kind of like looking in the mirror understanding the personality that you um you have in respect to this animal that you're sharing Mm -hmm. your life with it's really funny because if you like liken this to like tigers oh yeah no one would think about it twice no They'd be like, yeah, you, you brought a tiger into the house. Yeah. What the fuck did you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But you're like, think nothing of bringing, like, yes, they're, they, some of them come in very cute packaging, but they're predators. Yeah, they are. They're predators and, like, they're dogs. And I have this conversation a lot with my clients. I'm going, the canine world has its own culture, its own language, its own societal structure that they are born with intrinsically. Mm-hmm. In the human society, like, we have our own language, our own cultural expectations, our own societal expectations. So you're bringing a foreign exchange student into your home, and then you're getting angry or upset with them because they're not performing to the human societal standards. I love that. Yeah. That is a so great... Like, so I, one of the things, side note, that I love about Jamie is her analogies. <laughs> that, I love that. That is like... Yeah, that's Seriously. it's how it works. So like when you Cuz it's a culture it clash. It's a culture clash. So things like this where you're talking about having an insecure owner and a, and a soft dog and like or having a pushy dog and like a giving owner or an even an owner who's too hard on a soft oh, dog that's, that's yeah, too soft that's, yeah. like these these relationship dynamics like this it what ends up happening is that the dog doesn't know that what it's doing is not appropriate in human society. Mm-hmm. And human society seem, sees what the dog is doing. The dog is just doing dog. The dog isn't doing anything bad. They're just communicating the They're way. They're being a dog. They're just being a dog. But nobody but, wants a dog. No. So <laughs> because in human society, these behaviors 
are inappropriate. Jumping up, scavenging for food, growling or showing teeth or body language for space, using spatial pressure. All of those things are societally inappropriate in the human world. And we think the dog is being bad or mean or aggressive or when malicious. Just being but they're adult. just being a dog. Because the tiger is just a tiger. Yeah. So it's, it's educating yourself. So if you're having, if you're considering rehoming a dog because you're like, I don't understand what the hell is going on. Mm -hmm. I don't understand. That could be as simple as a fix of you don't need to rehome your dog. You need to get somebody in who can educate you. Both Sabrina and I talk about like, learn how to speak dog. Body, if there's one thing, separate podcast. Yeah. Body language over everything else. The way yours affects your dog and the way your dog uses theirs to communicate to you. Yeah, because dogs are... Most important thing I think any dog owner should learn. And they don't. They learn, like, obedience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, dogs speak dog. And dog language is 90% body and 10% verbal. Yeah. Humans are 90% verbal and 10% body. Mm -hmm. We've shut that off in our brain. Yeah. So some of this is just education. But, like... If you're, if you think it's an environmental issue, if you're considering rehoming your dog and you're like, yep, this dog would do excellent chasing down bad guys Mm -hmm. in New York City. Yes, that's a a way to rehome your dog. Or if you're going, this relationship dynamic is way off. Like we are not like, if your dog is scared of everything and you have like two sets of four-year-old quadruplets and run a daycare out of your home... (laughs) Like, okay, it's right. time to rehome the dog. This is not the right environment for you. Or if you're an 80-year-old person looking for a companion animal and you have a dog that needs to run 10 miles every day, that's not the animal for right. you. So like, Don't be a husky personality with a bulldog and don't be a bulldog personality with the husky. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. So those are envi- environmental reasons to rehome the dog. Now, the most, those are less common. They're less common, and they're also successful, I yeah. think. I yeah. think they're more successful. They're more successful because it's just an incompatibility right. that you need to rehome the dog. So it's You e- can like your ex, but you're just not right for each other. Right, exactly. <laughs> you can have a great relationship and just move on right. with your life. exactly. So those dogs are easier to rehome because all you need to do is find somebody who's willing to take on the correct personality correct. type for your dog and help them shine. Yep. Okay? Now... The next category of dog is more common, and it's usually what we get a lot of or we see a lot of. It's a behavioral issue that people talk about Mm -hmm. rehoming the dog. So the dog is resource guarding, which is growling over toys, bones, food, beds, space. All the Stolen items. Personal space. People, (laughs) right? Their back leg. (laughs) Yeah, like they're resource guarding, growling at people. The dog is exploding at other dogs on leash mm-hmm. or is dog aggressive or is attacked another dog the dog has bitten somebody maybe um, killed somebody maybe killed somebody well, maybe another dog another would be dog. more appropriate but yeah, well let's hope it didn't kill somebody yeah. but like gone after another dog killed small animals mm-hmm. rodents things like yep. that um those are the types of issues that people end up having that they're like we can't live like this anymore 
Um, especially, I see it a lot with when it happens to children, like the dog and bites that's a, the child. That, and that's a very scary place to yeah, be. Yeah, that's a, that's a line in the sand moment, yeah. especially for most parents, like as it should be, like nothing should be. And that also can turn into an environmental moment as well. Like yeah. the dog is not in, like I take the, I take aggression with children, like just so like, oh mm, yeah, like so seriously. It's mm-hmm. such a, it's such a. Not only is it dangerous, it's just an unpredictable thing that um, mm-hmm. that you're working through, right? Because children are unpredictable, and now you have a dog that's Children are random yep. and out of control. Yep. So, I can say that successfully because I have four. <laughs> we have the best four kids ever. Um, they know what to do around dogs. But that's, that's the thing, right? Um, and you know why. Like, you, like you train them because yeah. you have these dogs in your home. But again, so that's that's definitely a, a sketchy moment where maybe, hey, this dog would be a lot better with like, you know, yeah, the single man that lives on a farm. Yeah, like <laughs> there needs to be more of those single men that live do. on a farm. There do. Um. So anyway, but so like things like like the behavioral issues where it's aggression, it's reactivity, right. it's a it's bite dangerous, it's, it's dangerous. dangerous behavior, it's a liability. Somebody, dog or human, is going to get injured Correct. by this behavior. Now you have, you generally, if you have one of those dogs and you're thinking about, I can't believe I'm here where I'm considering rehoming my dog. Mm-hmm. Because listen, disclaimer, nobody brings a dog into their life going, hey, in six months, six months to a year from now, I want to hate my life and rehome my dog. Like, or I can't wait to spend all this money on training. Right. Or I can't like, I right. can't wait to make this horrible decision. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Like nobody goes into this thinking this. It kind of is a slippery slope where one behavior leads into another behavior, leads into another behavior, and then all of a sudden you're in this mess and you're going, I don't even know how to start unraveling this. I don't even know if I can live like this. What are my options? So your options are either training, which is what Sabrina and I do all the time, which a lot of people don't have the financial resources Mm -hmm. to afford behavior modification training because I'm going to say this loud and clear for everybody. If you have a dog struggling with any kind of aggression issues, biting, reactivity, growling, anything, it is expensive to fix. It is. It's expensive to fix because you want to find somebody who is well-versed in untangling what's going on in your dog and they have experience doing it successfully and educating you about it successfully. And if you haven't listened to our first podcast, listen to that because we go into how to find a trainer. A trainer. Yep. So like that's, but the people who are in that bracket, and I can say it because I'm one of them, they charge a good penny for it mm-hmm. because it's not something everybody can do. And it also takes time yeah. and a lot of work. A lot of work and a lot of education yes. and nuanced behavior mm-hmm. to go into untangling that because it's not about the bite. It's not about the aggressive incident. It's about all of the miles that led up to mm-hmm. that. So we have to address all of that. So training, you that's absolutely an option. Now, if you go to a trainer who's in this and they, they know what they're doing and they know what they're talking about and they tell you, this is what you need to do to make sure this dog never bites, never has an incident again. Mm-hmm. You have to follow this protocol because dogs are living beings. They're not cars and dog trainers are not mechanics. You can't just send them away, order new parts, and then get a happy-go-lucky golden retriever back. That's that not nice? Right? That's not how it works. No. So And it's also not guaranteed. No. Like, you can go to the... I don't care who... Like, world's best whatever. Yeah. Um... 
it's not guaranteed because it is behavior and it's so fluid and it's not like because they're not robots and neither are you like if humans can make mistakes every day they're living creatures dogs are going to make mistakes as well something's going to happen somebody didn't close a gate or lock the thing or and understand that even though you went through training some of your life might be management yeah so i talk about reasonable expectations with people and i set them super low yeah because anything above that is gravy yeah right that's icing on the cake you get more awesome but like your your reasonable expectations are your dog might need to be in a crate every time someone comes comes over over. or muzzled at all times or just whatever the thing is other people who don't live in your home are not allowed to touch your dog ever Uh like those types of things so when i say if a if you get your dog and working with a trainer and the trainer says you need to do this 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 and this to successfully live with your dog for the rest of their life if you look at that list of things to do and you're like we cannot do that yep don't even don't even start then don't start training rehome the dog right or even if you did training and then so like one of vicky's dogs dozer Mm -hmm. dozer went through our born train program reactivity growling in the crate he tried to eat me a couple of times like Mm -hmm. all of the things we did the boarding train. They came to all the sessions. When he went home, they had th- they just brought home an, a, the third baby. They had three kids, moved into a new house. They didn't have a fence yet. The neighbor's kids were running through the yard. After about two weeks of living with the program at home, they said, we can't, we can't. No. We can't. And I wouldn't blame them in the least. And I didn't. And fortunately for them, Vicky had fallen in love with Dozer yep. while he was with us. And now Vicky lives with Dozer and he's like basically one of our, he's yep. our dog. So like, and it's not that she doesn't struggle with him as well. No, she, like he's still he's still, and she's a dog trainer. Yeah. Like so, that's the thing. Like it's this it's is who he is. Exactly. Yeah. It's not just like she can manage the the skill set much yeah. better because she's more educated than the average yeah. owner. But and she it's still have, struggle. Yeah, and she doesn't have kids at home. She's got a more predictable lifestyle. Yep, exactly. She can give him what he needs and manage his behavior. Every, right through it so like that was another situation where it they these people gave it their best shot and it wasn't it was just we could not we could not keep up with this protocol right not for lack of wanting or lack of understanding three children and that's just dangerous yeah yeah so like those types of things Mm -hmm. that would be a time when even if you did training or had a trainer and the list of things to make sure the dog was safe and secure were way too long that's when you decide to rehome. Right. So you have, and and that's to someone that can support those behavioral issues. So let's say that training is, is not, is not the, the the, the state. Well, not even that, but like the, you know, that the silver bullet, if you will, like training is not the thing that, that gets you there. There are, there are dogs that I have met that medication has changed their behavior. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's a lot because I used to do that. Yeah. It worked alongside a veterinarian. See, and this is where Sabrina and I differ a little bit because I have seen dogs medicated for behavior issues without any training that has made the behavior issues worse. worse. Correct. So You like- have to, if you're going to medicate your dog, you have to do training. I would say first and then medication. I always say training first and yeah. medication. And Not I at talk, the same time. No. Well, I 
from an experience level, mm. if you medicate and don't train, yeah, nothing's going to change people. Yeah. Nothing. If you like train first, always yes, train first, then add medication and see where you're at. And continue the training and continue the training. That's yeah. the only way any of that works. But I can tell you, it's pretty few and far between. Yes, it is. Very few and far between. Yeah, there's not many dogs that I'm like, well, that was yeah, that was great. And again, but still, having... it's an it's an option. And there's yes. also like there's a dog that's coming in relatively soon, next mm-hmm. couple of months, and I actually told them to get like a full blood panel because I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, and this... I don't think there's something yeah. right here, and, and we'll I've we'll keep you that... updated on yeah. that. Yeah, but... and I've said that to a couple of my clients too. But this yeah. goes back again to finding the right trainer for the Correct. job because both you and I are going to be like. I don't think your dog processes information appropriately. Well, we have a holistic approach, right. too. We look at the whole package, not just right. that behavior needs to stop or right. whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, like, going to somebody who can helpfully say to you, hey, we've done this, I think it's time for some medication. Or right. we've done this, I think your dog just isn't, like, wired right. Like, so they that have a learning leads disability. A, well, that leads us to another conversation and one that Jamie and I collaborated on, actually, mm-hmm. Um, is when those behavior issues are so dangerous mm-hmm. that you have to choose euthanasia. Yeah. And that's, that's a hard, that's a hard, that's a hard yeah. conversation. Um, and e- euthanasia is kind of like a dirty word. And like, I talk to a lot, a lot of people who bring that up, like, cause your realistic options when you've gone through all these other things and you're still struggling with dangerous behaviors, like the dog is harming people on a regular basis mm-hmm. and you're in danger. Your family members are in danger of being severely injured. Um, that's when that conversation comes up. And so th- that's a hard one. It gets a lot of shame mm-hmm. from a lot of people, but it's one of those things, if your dog is suffering so mentally and emotionally, you wouldn't, if that were the same with like cancer, if your dog were right. diagnosed yeah. with cancer and your dog was suffering, you would choose that, you would choose, I would hope most people would choose to ease that suffering and help them pass rather than allow them to suffer a miserable life until mm-hmm. the end. So, if, or, or on the flip side too, even victimize not only the people in your life and in your home yeah. but trying to rehome that dog and yes. now it's a major liability to somebody else yeah i mean because here's the reality people there is no sanctuary there is no farm there is no rescue there is no shelter that's going to take your high bite risk dog correct there there is especially none. one that has a previous history yes. of injury like there is not nobody is going to take on that liability if you find a dog sanctuary they're going to charge you 5 to 10,000 dollars to take in the dog that's and then the dog they, just yeah that's lives if they there. have an opening and yeah. the dog just lives in a in an outdoor kennel run for the rest of its yeah. life that's it it's in a cage it's not running around on some farm out in Kansas no it's locked in a cage for the rest of its life. Mm-hmm. So like this is where people call me all the time. They're like, my dog just bit somebody or, or attacked another dog or whatever. I need to rehome this dog. And I'm going, I've worked in municipal sheltering for a long time. I Both Sabrina and I have worked in rescue for a long time. 
No one will take that dog. Nope. No one is going to take that dog. So if training's not an option and um, giving that dog to, like finding a rescue or a shelter to take that dog is slim to none. And you won't, you don't want to give that problem to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Then euthanasia is usually the answer. Yep. And I tell people this because you can surrender the dog to a municipal shelter. Your municipal shelter has a right through uh, law to take that dog from you, but your dog will then be locked in a cage, not touched for 10 days, and then it will be put down alone and scared. Well, also, if you release it, like if you surrender a dog to a shelter, they can euthanize it on the spot. Yes. As opposed to. If they find it on the street and it's, yeah. well, I shouldn't even say that. Nobody kicked their dog out. No, that's <laughs> so they have a chance. But right. like, um, if, if you, when you drop a dog off at, at a shelter where you are surrendering the dog as the dog's owner, mm-hmm. that dog can literally be taken in the back, back and euthanized. Right there. Right there. Yeah. Because you transferred ownership over. Yes. If they pick up a dog as a stray there should legally be a stray hold of X amount of days. I'm sure Usually it probably changes, you know, town, yeah. state, whatever. But so just that little Yeah. So like if sidebar. you're thinking about giving your dog to a shelter, that's a realistic option. That if the dog has an aggression issue or shows aggression in the shelter, it will not leave that shelter mm-hmm. uh, to a family. Right. So I, I tell people, I'm like, if you're considering euthanasia... The best thing you can do is take your dog to McDonald's, have the best day possible, and have the hardest day of your life. Yep. And say goodbye that way. Um, and also know that it's okay the right choice. And I just go back to that case that we shared together, and everyone was invested. Yeah. Yeah. And it just... It was... It, it was, was a, just a mammoth-sized dog, and... Mm-hmm. I mean, it went beyond just something not being right. It was environmental. It was it was, it was just all, all everything. It was the yeah. perfect storm. And yeah. that dog would have killed someone. Yep. Or seriously, seriously injured them. And yeah. it's just, it's not, it's not worth that. No, it's not. It's not. Because at the end of the day, humans before dogs. It, absolutely. Humans before dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've tried a rescue. We've tried a shelter. Mm-hmm. What else can we try? Well, private rehoming is the only other option, okay? So if, uh, if you adopted your dog, you can usually reach back out to the rescue. Most res- reputable rescues will take their dogs back. Mm-hmm. Um, shelters, too, most of them these days will take their dogs back if you adopted them back to them. Uh, but you can also try private rehoming if you if the rescue won't take it back or you can't get in touch with them or you got your dog from a breeder or what have you or somebody off of Craigslist mm-hmm. like yeah <laughs> never to be seen or heard from again yes <laughs> so you've got this dog you've got nowhere to go with it you don't want to do uh you can't give it to a shelter and no rescue will take it what do you do it's not a candidate for euthanasia and i also think some people maybe find that private rehoming is maybe better for them emotionally yeah because they get to pick and choose which i think you know if if you go through um a rescue usually they'll ask you to be the dog's foster yes. while they field applications but um there is a 
when you sign your dog over, you not only relinquish ownership, but you relinquish liability. Yeah. And so that is a very important aspect um, to consider when you're privately rehoming the dog because you're yeah. potentially liable. Yeah. Especially if you're not yeah. forthcoming with yeah. information. So being responsible for rehoming your dog mm-hmm. go, is a two-way street. So the first way is everybody's like, oh, don't just rehome your dog online, which I agree. Don't go to Facebook. Don't go to Facebook. Um, people will eat you alive. That, that more importantly. <laughs> yeah, people will eat you alive. But like, if you're looking to rehome your dog, you have to do a little bit of due diligence into who you're giving your dog to, mm-hmm. right? One is you want to make sure you have a vet reference. You want to make sure that wherever they're living, they're allowed to keep the dog. So if they're renting, landlord. Even if it's like a kid living in their parents' house, you want to get in touch with the parents. Are you okay with bringing an animal into mm-hmm. the home? Yep. Um, you want to see if they've ever owned a pet before. Did they take care of them? Did they send them to the vet? Do they have a reference? Ask them for a personal reference, someone that doesn't live in the home. So these are the questions when I used to run the municipal shelter, I would have people fill yep. out any adoption application, Absolutely. right? So what you're going to look for is a veterinary reference. Do they have a vet lined up if they haven't had a pet before? And if they haven't had a pet before, you probably shouldn't be giving them your dog. Yes. So they've had a pet before. They have some sort of record of care. You want to see that. You want to make sure that where they're living can have the type of dog that you have. Some places... Very can, important. Yes. Yeah, very some places important. Some places are... Like, they have a breed restriction list where there's certain breeds, even if they look like that breed, they won't be allowed in the building. That and size. Be, and size. Yeah. So that's huge. You want to make sure whoever they're living with, their landlord, parents, whatever, are okay bringing the animal into the house. Then you want to ask for a personal reference, someone other than family to vouch for this person. Mm-hmm. Like, is this person who they say they're going to be? They're not some, like, evildoer that, like, hangs dogs in basements yeah. for fun. Yeah, like, no. I mean, well, that's the thing, too. You go to Craigslist. I oh, mean, yeah. There are people that pick up dogs literally for Big bait. dogs. For fight, yeah. So just be very, very aware uh, you have to act like the, the you rescue. You have to ask, like, act like a rescue. Yeah. Exactly. And then if you're... Maybe even go to a rescue site and look at their application. Yeah, and pull it. Yep. Yeah. And pull and it and that. ask those same questions. And then um, what Then what you're going to do is you want to, like, meet with them. or And you also want to ask them, do they have experience dealing with the issues that your dog has? Because this is where the two-way street comes. Yes, you want to know a lot about them because you care about your dog and you care about where your dog is going. But... You need to be upfront with them. Be like, hey, my dog struggles with this, 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 this. This is why we're rehoming. Are you willing to take that on? Because the reality of the situation is if you're, you can't handle and live with the behavior that your dog is displaying after you've known and loved your dog for X amount of time. And that's usually where they're most successful. You have a dog as a puppy. Yeah. And then as they mature, there's an issue. You're emotionally invested in that puppy. The person that just takes on your dog, they just... Yeah. It's like a one-night stand. Yeah. How emotionally invested are you? They're not. And that and that's kind of the question I ask people. If you are not prepared to deal with this behavior appropriately that you've known and lo- loved this dog for X amount of time, how can you expect to find someone else who's mm-hmm. willing to take on this behavior issue with no relationship ties intact? So, like, that's something to consider. And if the person is willing to take it on, um, finding that right person, like... Like Sabrina said before, the single guy living out in the middle of a field in Utah, mm-hmm. like where you're fishing in a very small pond <laughs> with very little fish. Yes. 
Because all of the people who are willing to take on that dog probably already have that dog. Yep. And they can't have another one. So, again, lots and lots of considerations. I um, I just read this post um, from someone and I just, I thought it summed up exactly what we're talking mm. about right now. Where some dogs, everybody can own. Yep. There are some dogs only a select group of people can own. And then there's some dogs that nobody can own. Can own. Yeah. Yeah, that's real talk right there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's it's okay. And, like, we're both here to say, yes, we just had this huge, long, deep, emotionally intense conversation. So much for uh, keeping our podcasts in a reasonable time frame. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um. But we hope it was educational. Yeah. This is a heavy like, topic. It is a heavy topic. And a lot of people we talk to and work with have that thought in the back of their head where they're going, how did we get here where we're talking about rehoming our dog? Mm-hmm. So we just wanted to have this conversation to bring it to the forefront to let people know that <clears throat> this is the reality of what rehoming a dog looks like. This is what you're probably facing if you're here. Um, and it's more common than you think. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing to feel shameful about. Like you, we can talk about it. It's yes. okay. Um, and your your responsibility as the person that decided to become this animal's guardian, right, is to be responsible with this decision. Yep. Whatever it leads you to, but to be responsible with that. Yeah. And nobody can make this decision of what's right for you and your dog and your family for you, but you. Mm-hmm. So I, we will never tell anybody to euthanize their dog. We will never tell no. anybody to like rehome their dog. We can suggest maybe you're not the right fit, but if you want to become the right fit, this is what you need mm-hmm. to do. But you need to be informed and be able to make that decision on your own. Yep. And hopefully you have a supportive community around you. And if not, find it. Yeah. Um, so you don't feel shame or guilted or... Pigeonholed yeah. into a, a situation, a situation you don't, not, yeah, that you don't for, want. Yeah, or good for you and your mm-hmm. dog. All right. So I think that was a uh, weighty enough for this. Yeah, I mean, we could keep going. I know. Podcast number two. I but, know. Uh, let's wrap it there. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. And hopefully, let's pick a lighter topic. Next. Yes. Yes, we will. Okay. Much more fluffy. Exactly. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and uh, tune in next time for our next Canine Cooperative Podcast. Bye. Bye.